the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Hello, everyone. This is Al Fadi, and I am so excited uh, to begin a brand new video series with our dear brother, Dr. Jay Smith. And of course, anytime you mention the name Dr. Jay Smith, you know the topic has to be exciting, very animated, and you are going to just uh, be so blessed by the material that will be shared with you. And you'll be surprised to know that this time we are venturing into theological issues because it is extremely important for us to share with our Muslim friends the difference between what the Bible teaches concerning doctrinal issues and what the Quran or whatever they were raised to believe in as opposed to what we believe in. Today's topic is going to focus on the Garden of Eden, and what a topic indeed, because the Bible talks about the start of our misery as sinful people happened right there, but our return will be into the presence of God. It's almost like a restoration of the kingdom that was lost. This series will be titled Hermeneutical's Key. The reason why we call it this, because it's the key into understanding the Bible, understanding our salvation, and understanding our need for our Savior. With me here, as I stated, uh, our dear Dr. J. Smith. Dr. J., thank you so much, as always, brother, uh, for blessing us uh, with your research and material. Listen, it's always good to be with you, um, especially on this topic, which is actually kind of abnormal for us, isn't it? We always it talk about the historical critique. We've been going into the, the book, The Man in the Place. Now, suddenly, we're changing gear, and we're talking about something that has nothing to do well, not really nothing to do, but very little to do with the book, The Man in the Place. And this is what I call my hermeneutical key. Now, that's a huge word. I know it's going to probably turn an awful lot of people off. What is he talking about? This is too academic. Let, let me define terms. A hermeneutics is a way of interpreting something. It's a way we interpret scripture. It's a way we interpret theology. And uh, the key to understanding both Islam and Christianity, which what we're going to do through these episodes, uh, is to... Find a key, uh, that key that I that uh, that I need to unlock. Why is it that though we as Christians and Muslims we seem to be saying the same thing, and that's a confusion that happens often when I go into churches, when I talk to Christians, even when I'm talking to Muslims, they say much the same thing I'm saying, but the, what they're defining, uh, what they're what the definition of what they're saying talks completely right right past us. I remember I was in London 
I had just got there back in 1992. I started engaging with some Muslim students from School of Oriental and African Studies there in the University of London. And we just started to have these discussions uh, in Russell Square, which is right outside SOAS. Uh, it's a nice square with a garden, had a coffee shop and cafe. And uh, so I started with maybe five or six of these young chaps. And we decided every Wednesday that we would take one topic per week. Well, the first topic we were going to talk about was the kingdom of God, or as the Muslims know, as the Khilafah. So the Khilafah on this side versus the kingdom of God over here, uh, our kingdom of God. And I remember we, uh, I was struggling. I did not know how. It seemed like everything I was saying, they were not picking up. They were not understanding. I Like I was just talking past them. So I decided, well, I got flustered. I went home, jumped into my bathtub, which I like to do whenever I get I uh, want to just sit and think. Uh, and I was sitting there in my bathtub watching the steam dissipate up into the ceiling, and suddenly it's hit up. And hold on a minute, hold on a minute. I should have introduced what I had been reading in my Bible that morning for my devotions. See, that morning I had been reading through, and I had, was in Genesis chapter 3. I was just starting to go over in the Bible to go through the Bible in one year, and I got to Genesis chapter 3. Now, for any Christians who are listening to me, you know what I'm talking about. That's the chapter about the fall. That's where everything went wrong. So if any of you have a Bible in your hands, take it out and open up to chapter 3. Al-Fadi, what I want you to do is to just read two verses. I don't want you to read the whole chapter. I just want you to read the two verses, verse 8 and verse 9. Read that, if you would now, to these good people. And then I'm going to start talking about those two verses. Wonderful. And I'm using, by the way, the NASB or the um, uh, basically the translation that is considered to be as close as possible to being word for word or literal translation, the New American uh, Standard Bible, basically. Verse 8 in chapter 3 of Genesis reads, Now they, meaning Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? So this is basically you, verses 8 and 9. Two small verses. Al-Fadi, how many times have you read that? Probably many times. Oh my uh, goodness. I teach my who... students about this all the time. It's really rich with a lot of stuff in here. Huge, huge. Especially if you're talking to Muslims. See, when we talk to Muslims... We have many categories that are very similar. We talk about God, and of course, we both believe in a God. We, we talk about heaven and hell. We both believe in a heaven and hell. Uh, we talk about atonement. We have atonement. Muslims usually attack it. But we have idea of revelation. Uh, we both have a revelation. And we also have a historical context and much of a moral code. Not always similar, but at least we do have a moral code, and we do have a historical context, some of which do parallel each other. And so usually when we're talking with Muslims, you would think that we'd have everything in common until you unpack those words and those ideas or that theology. That's what I'm going to do today. But I'm going to use these two verses, these two verses as my key. Why? Because, bear with me now, I think if you look at these two verses, verse 8 and 9 of chapter 3, these verses tell us who God is. These two verses tell us who we are. These two verses tell us what was like at one time, what paradise was like at one time, these two verses, what went wrong, 
these two verses also tell us what is it that needs to be rectified so we can get to back to what was right. Now, those are five things that I know. You, Some of you may say that I am eisegeting the text. That means I'm imposing onto the text what the author did intend, and I will stand accused. But bear with me, Alfadi. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take each one of 13 areas. We're going to look at 13 areas. This first one we're going to look at is the Garden of Eden. That would be area number one. And I'm going to apply these two verses to each one of these 13 areas and show you that in every major category, we are not talking about the same thing. So let's talk about right now the Garden of Eden. We're in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. The Garden of Eden is also in the Quran in chapter 2, verse 30 to 39. In chapter 7, verse 19 to 25, and in chapter 20, verse 116 to 123. So the Garden of Eden is in both scriptures. You have it in this scripture for Islam, and you have it in this scripture for Christianity. But here's what's different, and this is what I want to really point out. Though they both talk about the Garden of Eden, they are not the same garden. Not at all. Not at all. For Muslims, this the garden is here in chapter 2, in chapter 7, and in also chapter 20, especially in chapter 7. Notice where that garden is. It's up in space. Did That's you know right. that, Al-Fadi? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Now, immediately, where's your garden? Where's the garden here? Is it up in space? The garden in our Bible, it's right here on Earth. Ooh. So already we're talking about two different gardens, are we not? That's correct. That's correct. Now, you would think, Al-Fadi, if this garden is up in space, in chapter 7, verse 20, uh, 26 or 24, and all, uh, Adam and Eve were thrown out of the garden and sent mm-hmm. down to earth. So they're That's up right. in space. They're away from earth. They're sent down to earth, which means this garden should be pretty close to Allah, right? You would think That's so, true. right? That's true. But Allah's not in that garden. Allah That's is true. not in that garden. However, in yes. this one, did you just not get done reading that God is walking and talking in the cool of the day? Did you not just say that? That's true. And, and he's calling on them. He's communicating with them directly. Ah, so the God in this story enters time and space. From the very beginning, he enters time and space, and he's walking. That If you're walking, you better have a pair of legs. And he's calling out. If you're calling out, you better have a, a certainly better have a pair of lungs and a mouth. So already this God over here enters, comes down our directions, comes to where we are, enters where we are, uh, where, where we are situated, and he's calling out to us, where are you? Where are you? Hold on a minute. Why is he calling, where are you? He knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. They were hiding behind a tree. Why do you think, Al-Fadi, he was calling, where are you? What would you guess is the reason he's saying, where are you? Well, of course, I mean, uh, we're not going to deal with the idea that does God have knowledge or not. I mean, God ba- basically is trying to help Adam and Eve to acknowledge why are they hiding. And the fact that they're hiding, technically speaking, indicate that up until this point, they weren't hiding from God. They were always communicating with him. They were meeting face to face. Absolutely. In the cool of the day. So that's something they would do every day. Looks like mm-hmm. it's something... Every day he would come down and walk and talk and communicate face to face. And he's saying, where are you? To me, that suggests, like you said, that this God wants them to respond. This God wants a response from them. This God knows that something's wrong. And he knows exactly what's wrong because he's omniscient. He's omnipresent as well. So he's already known what happened. But more than that, 
He wants them to respond to him because he wants a relationship with them. He already is in relationship with them. That's what it means. Face to face, walking in the cool of the day, day after day after day. That relationship was already there. That is what paradise was like. At one time, we as humans were walking face to face with God. And he was coming down our direction, taking on our form. He was taking on human form to be able to have that relationship. That's what this verse tells me right from the very beginning. But something went wrong. Something went wrong. Now, we're going to bring this one to a close because what I'm going to do next in the next episode, I'm going to show you that this God that's in this book and this God that's in this book are two completely different gods. Wait till you see why. Amen. Just for the ooh-to-do-do-do-do. We have to come back because people love that from you. Well, everyone, thank you so much. And I hope you're enjoying this. I I am excited already. I love theology. I love the teaching of the Bible. It is the source of all truth. Your word is truth. That's what our Lord says. The sum of all your words are truth. And that's what the Bible describes itself. So we're so thankful uh, for uh, your insights here, uh, Dr. J. And I am really excited for those who are watching. And we encourage you, especially if you're a Muslim, to please... Please take the time to watch, listen, process, and interact with us. Until next episode, have a blessed day. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Let Us Reason with Al Fadi. We depend on the generous gifts of our supporters to produce this program. To join us in this work, go to patreon.com and search for CIRA International. That's C-I-R-A International. You can also donate through PayPal. Go to sirainternational.com to learn more. Your support will help us continue introducing Muslims to the gospel of Christ. Now, back to Let Us Reason. Greeting, everyone. This is Al-Fadi, and I want to welcome you back to uh, a second episode of this fascinating video series on hermeneutical keys, addressing the differences from a doctrinal or theological standpoint between Islam and Christianity or the Quran and the Bible. Today, uh, with us here, of course, uh, Dr. J. Smith to continue uh, with this discussion. And we are going to address the difference between the God of Islam versus the God of Christianity. In other words, we're dealing with two different gods. Dr. J., as always, thank you so much for being here with us. Hey, thanks for having me. This is always fun to, to come on board, talk about something different than we usually talk about. That is true. So what are we going to address today when it comes to the identity of the gods that we're dealing with, the God of the Bible versus the God of the Quran? Yeah, and this is a common mistake that is made by not just Muslims, it's also made by many Christians, and that is our, is Yahweh versus Allah. Is Yahweh the same God as Allah, since both claim to be the God of Abraham? Muslims and Christians would also say that the God of Abraham is the same. Or another way to put it is the Allah of the Quran in the, I'm sorry, which is over on this side, and the Allah of the Bible, the Arabic Bible, both named Allah, both have the same names. Are they the same God? So let's go ahead and unpack that. And of course, you know where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to say absolutely not for one very good reason. Listen, you may have the same name in the same language. My name is Jay, and there are many other Jays. Just because we share the same name doesn't mean we're the same individual. There are. There are many Al-Fadis as well, Al-Fadi. You're not the only one, unfortunately. And because of that, there you have to share your name with others. God bless the fact that you aren't the same as the other Al-Fadis that I know. So for that reason, you can see, be careful. That's very simplistic to make that kind of claim. 
What we do need to do is look at the two different gods. So when you look at the God of Islam, now Al-Fadi, you used to be a Muslim. When you look at Allah, what are some of the what are some of the things you think about? What kind of God are you talking about uh, when you look at this God here, the God of the, of the Quran? Okay, so when I was a Muslim, uh, my understanding of him, he's above the heavens, he's seated on his throne, he's the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, he's not here with me, and his knowledge is here, but uh, he does not interact with sinners the way that Christianity presents the fact that God came into humanity. And uh, he's a God, of course, that likes you or loves you conditionally, uh, only if you do certain things for him. And uh, as a result of this, uh, uh, th there is no relationship between you and him in terms of like he is my savior, if you wish. In fact, one of the reasons, Jay, why I called myself uh, servant of the savior or servant of the redeemer, because that's none of his 99 names. You know, uh, uh, the God of Islam doesn't have a name like that, a redeemer or a savior, if you wish. And the list can go on and on and on. But the most important things is that my relationship with him is that of a slave and a master versus a child of God and a heavenly father. Okay, so very important. Right away, you listed on a whole litany of things uh, that he does not come to save. He does not have a relationship. And let's pick up that one right there, because this, is, this whole thing that we're looking at, when we're looking at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, starts from the premise that the God of the Bible on this side this God entered time in space. This God has never entered time in space. This God comes down to earth. This God never comes down to earth. This God over here is walking with a pair of legs and calling out with a mouth and pair of lungs. Obviously, he was on human form. From the very beginning, he could take on human form. This God has never take on, taken on human form. Immediately, you see there's some differences right there. This God is incapable of coming to earth. Uh, ask any Muslim, I'll ask Muslims, can your God come to earth? Can your God take on human form? Can your God eat like I can eat? Can your God go to the bathroom like I can go to the bathroom? And in every case, you'd have to say, no, 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 no. Allah will not. It's not that you might say that he can, but he dare not, right? But I would suggest he dare not because he cannot. Whereas our God can do all of these which suggests to me that this God is a much bigger, a much greater God. And in fact, I would say that this is the most omnipotent of gods, because omnipotence means ability to do anything. This God has no omnipotence, though you say Allahuak, but all the time, God is the greater. You're actually, you the very next phrase you say, but he doesn't become a man, which means you've taken away his greatness and you've exactly. taken away his omnipotence. Would you stop doing that, Muslims? So you can see you limit your God all the time by saying he cannot eat, he cannot walk, he cannot talk, he cannot relate to us. Did you notice what Al-Fadi said? This God can relate to us. Is that true, Al-Fadi? This God can relate to us. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but you remember what Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save uh, basically sinners. What did God do in the garden? He came after Adam and Eve. Adam, where are you? He came to save, uh, to seek, and to save sinners. Yeah, yeah. Came to seek and to save. We're going to get into that when we get into salvation and atonement. But can you see immediately we're talking really about two completely different gods? What's more, what's fascinating is the name. You talked about the name that he has 99 names. Is Allah one of those names? No. Yet everybody calls him Allah. 
But what does Allah mean in Arabic? Go ahead, Al-Fadi. What does it mean in Arabic? Well, there is debates about that very name itself. Is it like a definite article defining a generic God, Al-Ilah, the God? You know, that's one way. Some will say it has a Syriac, uh, basically, origin. Others will say it's Aramaic. And the list can go on and on and on. But the meaning is the God, right? That's right. Plain and simple. The right. God is not a name. That's yeah, a that's, title. That's a title, exactly. That's nothing more than a title. Listen, Al-Fari, you're the man, right? You're a man. I'm another man. But that is not our names. My name That's is right. Jay. Your name is Al-Fadi. So you have a personal name that sets you off from all other men. Just That's as this God here has a personal name. In Exodus chapter 3, God is going to send Moses down to Egypt. He's gonna, he try, Moses does not want to go. He tries four different ways to get out of going. Finally, he turns to God in verse 14 of chapter 3 and says, what is your name? Tell me your name. So when I go down to Egypt, the Israelites there will know who I, I, what God I represent. And God gives his name right there in verse 14 and 15. And what is that name, Al-Fadi? Do you know what it is in Hebrew? I am who I am. Yahweh. Well, that's in English. Yahweh in Hebrew. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So Yahweh. Some people would say Yehovah. You're right. That depends on where you put the vowels. I yeah. am who I am would be the English translation of that. Right. Ego Amy or Ha'an would be the Greek rendition of it that you see in both 14 and 15. But what's fascinating, that is his personal name. That's the name that sets him off from every other god, from every other deity. Now, remember, right. in the Old Testament, there are a numerous number of different names, three major names that are given for God of the Bible. You have Adonai, which is a descriptive name that's found about 340 times, not very many times. And then you have what you're getting at, and that is the title, the generic title, Elohim, Eloi, Eloha. Eloi means uh, it is a singular form. Eloha would be the dual. Elohim would be three or more. That's fascinating. And that's the one that's used most often. That's found about 2,600 times in the Old Testament. But that's nothing more than a title. That's not the name that was good enough for Moses. That's not the name that he wanted to take with him down to Egypt. The name he wanted was God's personal name, his proper name, and his holy name, and his eternal name. And that's the name that you find 6,823 times in the Old Testament. Proving that this is by far the most important name for God. This is the name that every prophet used. If you look in the English Bible, unfortunately, the name they have in the English Bible, the way they have done it in the translation is to put L-O-R-D in capital letters. Right. I would like to take L-O-R-D out, throw it away, and replace it with Yahweh. Because in verse right. 15, God then says to Moses, this shall be my name from generation to generation. This shall be my name forever, which includes today. We need to get back to that name because I'm fed up with people that are confusing the Allah of the Bible with the Allah of the Quran. They are not the same God. The Allah of the Quran cannot enter time and space. The Allah of the Quran cannot talk and walk with me. The Allah of the Quran cannot have a relationship with me. The Allah of the Quran is too small. I want the God, the Yahweh of the Bible, because that God does come to earth. That God was there on earth in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning. He was walking and talking in the cool of the day. And as we're going to find later on, he came to earth many, 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 many times. However, I hope I'm getting across to you that this God on this side, the God of the Bible is a relational God. This God has no relationship. And Al-Fadi, you really underlined that. There is no relationship with this God, but there is with this God. We're talking about two different gods. And that's why 
Looking at the Garden of Eden, I'm so glad that God was there in the Garden of Eden. I'm so glad that he was there walking and talking in the cool of the day. And I'm so glad that he was there calling out to Adam and Eve, want a, wanting a response from them. Because this God, our God, the God that every one of you can have, you can have that God that we're offering him to you. You can face, you can have him walking and talking with you face to face on the other side of death. That's where we're headed towards. But that's just the second category that we're talking about. We'll be moving into the third category, and this is the Trinity. And this is the one that's a stickler for so many reasons. Because of who we are, I'd like to ask Muslims, what is the problem with the Trinity? But I'm going to use, again, this key, this hermeneutical key, to unpack for you just how important the Trinity is. That's for the next episode. Amen. Amen. Uh, Everyone, I hope you're excited about this uh, video series. You can see where we're headed with this. You can really title this a discipleship uh, uh, series because it's really discipling, in my humble view, both Christians and Muslims about important topics. And every single episode will deal with one of those keys, the hermeneutical keys. Until next time, of course, uh, everyone, have a blessed day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.